Good morning. Welcome this morning. It's good to be in God's house. Um, let's stand together and we'll have a little invocation and then worship together in song. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for today and we're thankful for um, all who've gathered here to worship you. Um, we also ask that you'll be with those who aren't here this morning, watch over them, keep them safe as they travel and do whatever, whatever things they have to do, or if they're ill, please, Lord, uh, bring healing and comfort. Um, Lord, we ask that you'll be with us in, in our worship this morning and that you will honor it and multiply it in your name. Amen. Let's sing together. My heart, the breath in my lungs, all I am is 
continue singing. Everyone needs compassion, love that's never failing. Let mercy fall on me. Everyone needs forgiveness, the kindness of a savior. The Oh, my soul. 
seated. Um, I think, Kevin, I'll do the announcements and we can do our greeting time. Is that okay? I'm going to do the announcements first. So just a, a couple quick things is that Alabaster is at the end of the month. If you need um, a container for your kiddos, uh, back on the, 
uh, green table. You can grab that, so think about that, pray about that for Alabaster, and uh, save that loose change. And then I just wanted to remind everyone uh, about our you know, ways to give, um, and our connection boxes are back there. Uh, we've got our online uh, giving, and you can go through the website, the app, so if you have any questions about that, let uh, Pastor Jason know, let me know, uh, anyone on the board. I'll be happy to help with that. And um, I think those are the pretty much the announcements that I had. Yes, Pastor. This Thursday? Okay, thank you. So this Thursday, senior meal, 1130 at DeChico's. Okay, perfect. All right, um, that's all I have. So let's uh, greet each other in the name of the Lord. And uh, bless everyone. Thank you.
Well, I don't know about you all, but I'm excited to hear a message from Pastor Chad this morning. So, Pastor, um, I'd love to pray for you and then welcome you up. Heavenly Father, I just pray for Pastor Chad as he comes to give us a word from you. What could be better? What could be better than a word from you for your people on this day? I just pray, Lord, you'd open our hearts and our minds just to receive the word that you've given Pastor Chad and just to let it soak in to our hearts and our minds and that we would just go from this place in the joy of the Lord uh, with a word from you and with just a passion to uh, serve uh, the community we live in and to uh, serve each other in this church body. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. has a wonderful time while he's away, and that he'll come back to us refreshed and vital. We'll have him, we'll have him up here again. We'll look forward to that. Has it ever occurred to you to give thanks to God that he gave you a nose? <laughs> you, you know, the gift of smell is really a wonderful gift. We get so much pleasure out of it. You think about flowers in bloom, the pungent smell of crushed mint, the smell of a baby's breath, the smell of meat sizzling on a charcoal grill. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful pleasures, wonderful gift it is. And we really ought to be thankful to God for the wonderful gifts he's given to us. I'm not surprised you never thought of doing it deliberately, but maybe you do it now, just thinking about it. Get so much pleasure out of this gift. Of course, all smells aren't pleasant, are they? Roadkill skunk. Rotting meat. Dirty diapers. Some really stinky stuff in the world. And that's not pleasant, that's not pleasurable. It's interesting to me that uh, we human beings have taken that idea and attributed it to things that have nothing to do with our nose or with material things. We, we talk about bad ideas, bad actions as things that smell. If somebody, uh, if you're thinking that somebody's trying to put something over on you, you might say, that doesn't pass the smell test. We used to say something's rotten in Denmark. I think we've got too civilized to blame it all on the Danes. But we, we attach it to thoughts, to ideas, and we say they stink. A couple weeks ago, here in Fresno, somebody called an elderly lady told her that he was the mayor of Clovis, that she had a warrant out for her arrest, but that he happened to know her and thought well of her and wanted to help her out. If she sent him $12,000, he'd get that warrant quashed. And unfortunately, she bought his story. That, to me, that stinks. That stinks to high heaven. If somebody tells a lie about you, 
and that lie results in deep embarrassment or real loss of some kind, bad reputation, that stinks. If somebody breaks a promise, and by breaking the promise, they cause you to lose something important to you or to fail to get something you really wanted, that stinks. So many things are like that. They, we say they stink. Well, I want to call your attention to a passage of scripture that talks about fragrance and stench. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 to 16. Give you a moment to find that. First church I ever, ever had, had a family that came real regularly. had two boys, delightful little boys. One was 10, one was 9. The family came, and usually the dad and mom sat about somewhere in the middle of the church, but those two boys always came up to the second row, and they always brought their Bibles, and they always opened them. And so I just formed a, a habit. I would announce the scripture, and then I'd watch those two boys. And when they found the scripture, then I started preaching. I figured if two kids could find it, everybody could find it. <laughs> I think they, they enjoyed that. But 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 and 16. But thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ, and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are the smell of death, to the other the fragrance of life. And who is equal to such a task? Paul was very familiar with a, a major event in the, in the Roman world of his day that reminded him of the procession of Christ who has conquered the world and, and all his followers as kind of a great parade that was going on. I'd like to describe that event to you. When a Roman general had won a great victory, he was given the privilege of a triumphal procession into the city of Rome. And he would go all out to present himself and his army and his prisoners he, of course, would be dressed in his finest robes, robes, purple or red with ermine collars, some kind of a crown upon his head, either golden tiara or a victory uh, wreath of olive leaves, be riding in a chariot that probably was set aside especially for that kind of procession, solid ivory with gold trim, pulled by four or five magnificent stallions that had been combed and brushed and gathered with a harness that had been rubbed in oil until it just gleamed in the sunlight, covered with jewels. Those horses would have great pom-poms on their heads, either of feathers or of flowers or something. And before him, would go his victorious army, troops that had prepared themselves for the day, be marching in perfect order, in perfect uh, step. They would be all freshly bathed. There'd be nothing of the trace of battle left on them. No mud, no blood, 
They'd be freshly washed, their clothes would be clean and pressed, and be their finest uniforms. They would, they would march proudly forward. There'd be people going before them, spreading flowers in the street that they could trample upon, raise the odor of. There'd be uh, big pots of uh, incense burning all along the way. It'd be a magnificent spectacle. Just here we are. We are the victors. Here is our victorious general. And then there was a group that came behind, and that was not so good. Those were the survivors of the battle they had won. These are the prisoners that are being taken to their death or to, uh, to the arenas, and, and things would not be well with them. They would still be covered with battle grime, still have clotted blood in their arms and legs and in their hair. They would not have had a chance to take a bath. They would have been forced to sleep on the ground in chains with no, no uh, access to the amenities, so they would have been wallowing in their own filth. They would stink to high heaven. The stench would be terrible. And of course, they would be unhappy, terrified, knowing what's going on. They'd, they'd come along behind, all in chains, and the whole thing was to demonstrate this great, this great general. Well, Paul, reminding an event like that, gets a vision of the triumphal procession of Christ and his people. And for them, it is Christ in all of his glory has conquered sin, has overcome the world, and has called people to himself. And those people have found deliverance from sin. They've been cleaned up. They've been washed. They've been transferred into the kingdom of God and they are his glory, and they're with him. And his, his possession divides humanity into two groups. You know, because of Jesus, we have two, two uh, lengths of history. We've got B.C. and after Christ, before Christ, after Christ. But he also divides the world into two groups, those who have come to know him and are living for him and in him, and those who are still wallowing in the filth of their own sins. Quite a difference in the transfer there. These, these people are also not a good group. Their hearts are filled with evil desire, with sexual lust, with hatred, with contempt for others, with lies. The human heart can be quite a cesspool. The smell of raw sewage. A stench in God's nostrils. On the other hand, his people have been washed in the blood. They're clean. They've been given new robes, spotless robes to wear as they go. They have been anointed with oil from heaven and been perfumed with the fragrances that come out of heaven itself. It's a, it's a different kind of a group. They march in triumph and glory. There is, though, a difference between the event and Paul's vision. 
In Paul's vision, we don't go before the Lord. We are not a victorious army. Christ has won the victory. He is the victor, and we follow in his train. We, walk, we, we didn't win the battle. He won the battle, but we join in the celebration. It's like the book of uh, Revelation, you know. Young pastor was telling me that uh, his teenagers came to him, said they would like to have a Bible study. He was very pleased about that. Yes, what they like to say? They said, Book of Revelation. He said he thought a lot about that and prayed about it. Why would, why would teenagers be so interested in the Book of Revelation? What's he going to do with all of those strange visions and all of those weird creatures and all of that? But he said he finally realized that the real message of the book of Revelation is that God is in control, Jesus has won the victory, and those who believe in him share in the celebration. And that's the way he taught it, and his kids got a lot out of that. And I've loved that ever since. God is in control. Jesus has won the great victory. His people get to share in his celebration. But we didn't win the victory, Jesus did. So that's a little difference in the event. We are following behind. Well, what happened with those prisoners that were following behind? Well, those who do not know the Lord in Paul's vision, they're on the sidelines. They're watching the parade go by. They're seeing this event. They're seeing it happen. They're, they get glimpses of Jesus. They get glimpses of his followers. And, but there they are. Their hearts fill with evil and with wickedness. But they're not, and, and, but they're not hopeless. You would never have wanted to be, no one here would ever want to be in that Roman celebration in that second group. The group that stunk, stinks, the group that is suffering, the group is hard. You, you, you obviously would never want to be in that group. And I would hope you would never want to be in the group that doesn't know Jesus. The ones whose hearts are filled with such wickedness. Out of which comes such evil things sometimes. The things people say, the things they do. Need to be delivered from that. But they're not falling, they're not being dragged behind Jesus. They're, they're just watching it go by. The other difference is, though, is that, it, is that neither are they hopeless. That Roman group, they were hopeless. They had no hope of anything. But this group, there is still hope for them. Because Christ's invitation is always out to become one of my followers, to follow me. Come to me, he says, all you who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Confess your sins and you will be forgiven. Follow me. Those who follow me will never walk in darkness. Calls us to be part of that great triumphal procession that begins now. You know, it doesn't happen just when Christ returns. That'll be a great part, a great part of it. But it, it begins now with his people following him. And the people along the way, they, they do have a hope. And what Paul says about that is that they're using their noses. And most of them, the majority of them, will be so caught up in their own stink that comes from their own corrupt hearts that they'll transfer that idea in and they'll think it's Jesus who stinks. It's the Jesus people who stinks. Getting a lot of that in our world today where people are actually saying things like that. He's wrong. The idea of following him just stinks. I wouldn't want to be a part of that group. 
those church people, they just stink. But some of them, some of them will catch a, a little bit of the fragrance. They'll get that glimpse of Jesus as they're going. They'll get that. They'll run into people who follow Jesus beautifully and well. And, and, and they'll wish that they could be part of a group like that. Well, if you decide, if a person decides that they want to be with the group that's enjoying the celebration, that's part of the victorious parade, the great triumphal procession, how do they go about getting in? They just enlist. That's all. Just enlist. They don't have to fill out a resume. There's no fees to pay. There's no background check. You don't need somebody to recommend you. You don't need sponsors. You don't need to make some changes in your life before you come. And I want to talk a little bit about that because I find that far too many people have the idea that if they want to become a Christian, they've got to make some changes. They've got to do something first. Before they come to, I'll come to God, they say, after I've licked this problem, after I've quit this habit, after I've got a hold of this sin. I'll, when, I, when I take care of that, then I'll come to God. Well, a couple problems with that. One is that Jesus has a plan and a program to clean us up, to transform us, to make us new creatures. And it's better than any plan or program that you or I would ever come up with. And the second thing is, it is actually humanly impossible to change our lives to what they should be, to be in the kingdom of God. It is a total impossibility, and the world has discovered that, and people discover it over and over. How many broken uh, New Year's resolutions do you know about? How many people think it's really a wonderful, they, they, they want to go on a diet. They know they should go on a diet. They want to go on a diet. They have every intention of going on a diet, and they fall down. It's pretty common, common thing. People have a bad habit, say, I'll get rid of it. Turns out they can't. Now, it is true that if you really focus on one thing, you can handle it. Some people really focus on that diet, and it works. Some people really focus on a New Year's resolution, it works. But if you think you can take care of everything you need to take care of in life, you're far from it. I just recently read a biography of, uh, uh, not a biography, an autobiography. He wrote it himself by Benjamin Franklin. Benjamin Franklin was one of the great men in our history. He was a very intelligent person, did a lot of good thinking. He had a very high moral, moral uh, morality. His ethics were high, very high. He believed in God, prayed every morning. Decided at one point in his life, according to his own biography, he decided at one point in his life, he was going to get everything right. He had some things that he thought bothered him. You know, what were all sins? Some of them just things he didn't like, like he was too apt to postpone things. He sometimes forgot promises. He sometimes overlooked somebody that he should have spoken to. He said, I'm going to make myself right in everything. And he made a list of all the things he wanted to change. If I remember right, it was somewhere like 26 or 28 things. He made a list. I need to change all these things. And he came up with a program. He put them on a calendar. 
And he said, okay, I'm going to start with the first thing here, and I'm going to give it five days. Don't know why I picked five days. I'd have said a week, but maybe he wanted to start on Monday and then rest on Saturday and Sunday. <laughs> but I'll, I'll work on that until I get it right. And then I'll go on to the second thing. And after 28 weeks, I'll have taken care of everything. He was sincere about that. He meant to do it. He worked hard. First week, worked hard. He conquered a problem he had. It was no longer bothering him. He went through a couple of days where it never was a pro no trouble. Went on to the second thing. Worked on that. Worked out real good. Went on to the third thing. He got down to the fifth thing and realized he was already slipping on the first two. He kept trying for a while and was slipping on the first two and the third one. He finally gave it up. He said it's humanly impossible. You know, the Greeks have a, a delightful story, one of their mythologies, that showed that the, the Greeks, way back there before Christ, they understood that that was a problem. That there are some things would take something superhuman to take care of. And they put it in one of their mythologies. You all know about uh, Hercules. He's been in cartoons lately, so everybody knows about Hercules. Hercules had, had done something that angered, in the story, one of the gods, and he had, been for, he had ended up being forced to carry the whole world on his shoulders. That'd take something. And he was very unhappy with that, of course, and he's petitioning to different gods, and finally, I guess it's Zeus, tells him, I'll give you a list of impossible things to do, and if you can do every one of them, I'll take the world off your shoulders. And Hercules says, I'll do it. Now, one of the things, the only one I remember, was he told me, if you can clean out the Aegean stables and get them perfectly clean, that will count for you. That will be one of the things. Now, the Aegean stables were the largest stables in history. They, the Greeks had thousands of horses, the Greek royalty, in these barns, thousands of them. And, of course, people take care of them. And, of course, one of the things, if you've got thousands of horses and barns, you have, to keep the barn, you have to keep cleaning the barns. And so Hercules is told, you can clean those barns. So Hercules grabs a shovel and he goes to work. He soon discovers the thing that every farm boy like me and some of you quickly learns about cleaning the barn. It's an endless task. You start at one end of the gutter, we had cattle, we had cows all lined up in a row, and you start shoveling. When you get to the end of the gutter, you look back and it's already starting to fill up again. Just happens that way. That's what happened to Hercules. He discovered he's never going to get it done. Now in the mythology, he finds a superhuman way to do it. He takes his shovel and he goes out and digs a, goes to the river and he reroutes re the whole river and it has that run through the barns. And of course, when the whole river goes through the barns, now they're all clean. Well, it probably would stay clean for a little while, but at least he'd won that one. But the point of the story was, there are some things about cleaning up that people just can't do themselves. But God has, the Lord has a program, and he's able to do it. And he will do it. I'm re I, when I was thinking about this, I was reminded of several women I've known in my life, probably not too many, that... Uh, have contracted with a professional cleaner to come clean their house. Okay, cleaner's gonna come Monday morning, gonna be there to clean the house. 
She gets up real early Monday morning and works like a slave to clean her house up to get it ready for the cleaner. I suppose we'd all do things like that. And the point being was, he's going to have to clean everything anyway, and he's going to get it a lot cleaner than any of us could get it clean, unless we were just awfully, awfully good at it. Well, that's kind of the way it is with us humans. We can't clean it up ourselves. And besides, the Lord can do it a whole lot better than we could. If we get, could get some of it clean, he can do it so much better, and he's ready to do it. You don't need any of these other things. You just, you just enlist. Just turn to Christ. The Bible tells us that if we become aware that we're in the wrong group, and we want to be in that group with Christ. If we become aware of that, all we have to do is not try to make excuses for ourselves, not try to lie about it and say we didn't, that we're not wrong. Just acknowledge it to Jesus Christ. Confess to him, and he will immediately forgive us and clean away everything that has kept us from having a good relationship with our Father in heaven. Just, that's all it takes. That's all it is. And it's so wonderful to be a part of the great profession, the procession. So wonderful to be in that triumphal procession, enjoying all of the beauties that God performs for us, enjoying the fragrance that wafts down to us from heaven, getting away from the stink in our lives, those actions, those thoughts, those ideas. Just let Jesus have his way in your life. And you are part of the greatest procession the world has ever seen. God bless you. Father, we ask that you would bestow your favors upon all of us. Keep us close. Help us to walk. Keep us in step. And let us enjoy in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you let the folks